welcome to the third episode of the Zero Fucks, Zero Effects. Again, still not quite decided what we're calling it. Podcast. Can I just say, sorry, third episode. Third, yeah, Four. I know. We're getting good at this now. I know. This might sound vaguely professional. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will not bet on it. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. So soon. I am... Um... <laughs> I am your host, Amy Stokes-Waters, with me is my co-host, Rob Lancaster, and today we have the very lovely Lorna Armitage. Would you like to introduce yourself, Lorna? Hey, everybody. I'm Lorna Armitage, one of the co-founders of Caps Lock, and here today to chat to the very lovely Amy and Rob about, I have no idea, actually. I'm sure they're going to surprise me with lots of random questions. I'm a little bit nervous. That's all right. Oh, don't be nervous. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> you, you two forget that I know you both so you know <laughs> but Lorna it's not like you've ever put us in an awkward position where we felt in any way threatened or nervous so what what have you got to worry about is this some kind of revenge podcast going on here, <laughs> here. <laughs> this is 24 hours of, of did, did anyone tell you it was 24 hours maybe we should have oh, mentioned that earlier <laughs> Help! Help! Settle in for a long one. No. <laughs> so go on, Lorna. You you mentioned that you are a co-founder of Catlock, and for those people who don't know, and I I find it remarkable that there is anyone at this point in two thousand and whatever we are in twenty one twenty twenty one that anyone doesn't know about Catlock. But for those who might not, just explain what Catlock is. So caps lock, and I'm, I apologise, I'm not good at the sales bit. That is not not my expertise. But yeah, caps lock. It's a it's an online education organisation where basically we take adults and we put them through a, a boot camp camp style program for either 16 weeks full time or 26 weeks part time, um, and help them uh, change career and get into cybersecurity. And. You're right, you don't do the sales the, thing, do you? No, I'm rubbish at it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh. I mean, it's just really good. I mean, one of the, the things that make Caps Lock different to other people doing something similar is the way, one, you have income share agreements, which is an unusual option for people. Um, yeah. And also the way you actually get people into work. So rather than just um, being a... a capitalist generating income for the shareholders uh, business you're actually taking people you're retraining them and then you're working to get them into cyber and actually get them properly employed and settled into the industry rather than just pumping them at the the door with a a certificate yeah absolutely you know in all seriousness um it is um when we when we started caps lock being open and honest, it's not a charity. It's a not a not-for-profit. It is a profit-making organisation, um, you know. And I guess the main reason for that is because we need investment to get this going, and investors want to make money out of it, you know. So they're not going to invest in it unless they're making money. Um, but our investors are all social impact investors, so it's not just the money that they're about. And that's the same for us, really, as as co-founders, myself, Andrea, and Jonathan. We wanted to do this. Um, and, you know, we've got to pay our bills and we've got to earn a living. But also that wasn't the main reason for doing it. We really wanted to remove barriers and help people get into a sector that, firstly, they might not have considered as an option for them. But secondly, I looked at it and thought, I'm never going to be able to do that because I ain't got five, ten grand to put into training up front. You know, I don't know how to do it. I don't know the people, all of that stuff. You know, the culture might not be right for me. So we wanted to remove as many barriers as we possibly could for people to be able to do that. And the income share agreement is one way of doing that. So you don't pay a penny back until you are earning over 27,000 a year. But also the things around the application process and the, you know, what we try to do is assess future potential rather than where you've come from and what, you know, GCSEs, A-levels kind of thing you've got. Um, so, yeah. And and actually that's really useful because uh, that, that links quite nicely into to something that is talked about an awful lot in cyber at the moment which is about certification and uh, within the recruitment side of things how job adverts are just absurd <laughs> um the whole certification piece i think is 
yeah, it's a hot topic at the moment. I mean, I've seen so many job adverts where people are asking for like a CISP for a junior role. And you're like, but to get a CISP, you have to have five years experience. Or I saw one the other week that was um, a recruiting for a junior security consultant, but they had to have experience as a security architect. And I'm like, but that's Why like, would anyone go from security architect to, to junior consultant? It's just so bizarre, isn't it? I was on um, a panel um, a couple of months back, and we were talking about this and saying, oh, about the skill shortage and things like that. I don't think this is necessarily a skill shortage. We're just not asking for the right skills. Yeah. You know, when, we, when we're looking at, at these job adverts and things like that, it, it's just ridiculous. You're looking at that, and you why would you even attempt to apply for that job when it's asking for that, that sort of experience and things? It's just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. Why, why it is still happening? I'll be dead honest. It, it really baffles me, and I think the other, one of the other reasons with Capsock as well was because we'd had me and Andrea had, had these conversations with so many people. We'd had them with government, we'd had them with people we were working with for so many years, and it was the same old thing. And it's like nobody's doing it differently. Everybody keeps saying it needs to change, and then doing exactly the same bloody thing time and time again. Am I allowed to swear? But yeah, so um, <laughs> so yeah, but so everybody kept keeps doing the same thing because. And um, maybe this is a bit contentious, but I'm going to say it anyway, fuck it. Because it suits some people, doesn't it? It suits some people because they can be the the top of the game and they can be the special ones in cyber who who know it all and, you know, not putting the hand down and helping other people look. There's so many people who say that they advocate for bringing newbies into the industry, but then they themselves are gatekeepers. And I'm obviously not going to call people out on this podcast because I don't want to get sued. Um, <laughs> but I know a lot of people that do it. Yeah. And like, and it's women and men. It's not just not like a male thing. It's a, there's loads of women that do it who, Absolutely. who say that they advocate for women in cyber and then they don't do anything to help them. They make them pay for courses to get into cyber and i'm like i mean you you're, you're obviously yours is a paid for course but you're doing it in a way that's accessible for everyone like it, it doesn't matter yeah. where you come from it's like like university i guess like you can apply for yeah like an income share agreement yeah but even like with university you'd not need to have so many gcse so many a levels you know and that's not a measure of somebody's ability um or potential is it so that's what we wanted to look at and i think you're absolutely spot on you know for me you can climb to the top of a ladder and you can either just shit on everyone below you or you can put your hand down and help people up, you know. And if and if they – and I, my, my view is I would rather do that. And I'd rather they passed me, actually, and kept climbing because I'm happy where I am and I have no no problem with people doing that. Mm. Um, and, and it's not everybody, you know. Actually, the, the sector can be so welcoming. There's so many lovely, welcoming people in the sector who really do genuinely want to help people. Um, but there are a few – um, you know, hopefully it's a minority who it definitely suits them that, you know, it's difficult to get in and the whole smoke and mirrors around it and it's so tough and only the special few can do it. And I just don't think that helps the sector at all. No, well, we know a lot of uh, nice people that help um, people get into the industry because they're part of the mentoring program with Caps Lock, which is how we all know each other, I think. But um, I just want to address, actually, that whole cost element because I know there's quite a lot of people who, who call out Capsock and say, well, you're, you're still charging for your course even if it's a, an income share. And, yes, we are. And, you know, like I said earlier, we have never professed to be a not-for-profit or a charity because the only way that we could get this started and do it differently was to get investment, you know, and, and to take – because it's a massive risk, you know. Not all our learners – like go on and get those jobs and pay us back. So it is a risk and we needed that investment and it was the only way to do it. If the government wants to turn around tomorrow and say, Capsock will pay you X amount to do 500 learners a year, happy days. You know, we we, we want to make a difference. and We want to be able to give people opportunities and this was the way to do it. And we can't do it for free because we're not billionaires and should, have all the money um, to throw at it. But that's, that is one of the um, things, again, about the way that you have recruited the people to take to, to to have on board with the Capstock course, it's not about certificates. It's not about previous uh, educational or academic knowledge. Excuse me. You are actually talking to individuals, and you are you're sussing out the motivation behind people and the the desire to get into the industry. And this, I think, potentially is why people are coming out of it so strong 
So once they get past this absurd recruitment situation, which we can we can be batting around, unfortunately, for years because it's not going to get better quickly, the individuals themselves are so far and above the standards that is expected within the industry because they're coming into cyber with so much um, trans, so many transferable skills from previous uh, roles. Yeah, no, and I, I, I the way they're being, you know, fast tracked through. Yeah. Uh, absolutely i think it's a combination of that though but then also the way that you're teaching people so when we talk to or when i talk to students who are studying like cyber at university they take their learning universe they're learning cyber in very much the same way as you learn any other subject which is by yourself you do some dissertations you go to some lectures and it's all very kind of so, like solitary work whereas what you guys are doing is like team-based work because that mimics what's happening in a real life situation like if I when I talk to a customer it's, I mean I'll have a first conversation with them by myself but then I'm like technical people come and help me yeah. um and, and yeah. get come on the call with me because I need their help and then they can work out like how many days it is and I can work out what the commercials need to look like because that's what my skill set is and then someone else has got a you know the skill set to actually know what the fuck we're doing um yeah it's always helpful um but yeah so I think that's why um a lot of people are finding what you guys are doing really useful to translate like to a work environment because of the the methods in which you're teaching yeah no for sure and I think you know when you look at and you and you're absolutely right you know generally in a university environment when you look at lectures and lectures are as old as time and the reason we originally did lectures lectures was because we were short on resources so you might have only ever had one book or one you know something one thing with information on so one person read it out to disseminate that information it was about that really disseminating information rather than particularly learning um but you know you, you've only got so much reach with that um and we we've done team-based learning in a university environment and seen the increase in not only retention and engagement but you know how much that um, retention of that learning and knowledge is as well and it's a much deeper way to learn because you're actually doing things and what we do is we have a methodology where we use team-based learning and problem-based learning um, so you you're always getting into trying to solve those problems and the problems that you're going to come across in industry you know the the real world problems and we try to simulate that world that world that real world sort of working environment as much as we we possibly can mm-hmm. um, in in the classroom in the zoom rooms really and you're always going to work in teams when you go out there. You know, you're never going to just be solitary on your own unless you just want to work for yourself, one person. But then you still got to communicate with people and work with other people yeah. if you want, ever want clients. You know, so so we do we do simulate that. And I think it's a nice mix. And again, I think this is another thing that, you know, people have, and I try not to read all the criticisms because you just think, fair enough, everybody's got an opinion. You know, saying, well, they're all just ex-lecturers and, you know, what, kind of what what do they know well actually if you looked at the backgrounds of all the the tutors yeah myself and Andrea and Scott have all worked extensively in universities as well but you know we've been out there you know in industry being consultants as well you know myself and Andrea for the last 15 years you know out there working in in industry plus so I think we've managed to bring together that real understanding of how people learn and retain information and how you kind of cement it and also what's needed out there and what and we've worked with employers extensively to to look at that and based on our own experiences working extensively in industry as well we we can start to mirror you know that these are the problems that almost all organizations face in cyber so let's get them solving those problems while they're while they're doing the training Um, and I think it's just it makes a massive difference and our employer partners you know are already and the ones that have hired are already coming and going yeah like like you said Rob you know that they're sort of they're so so much more advanced than sort of graduates because they've got they've done had this experience but they've also bringing all those transferable skills and that understanding of business and those communication skills in as well so it, it works really well I think if you're open to it you know for learners it's hard at the beginning because it's a new experience not not many people have been through this kind of experience before and they are you probably we're all probably more prone to that sort of training where it is you, you sort of talk to and people are imparting knowledge and it's it's not just about that and I think yeah. one of the other problems that you guys are kind of helping with in cyber is the diversity problem is it a problem <laughs> yeah, 
um like the amount like for the i know for, i don't know what the stats are for the current cohort but i know the last one it was like there was it like 35 percent women yeah i think we had i think we had 30 oh god 32 percent female 35 percent babe if that i don't know if that's the correct terminology to use at the moment but yeah um not sure on this current one it is slightly less on on um on women on this current one but we've got more on part-time yeah um for this for this one uh, but it's for us it's just about opening those doors you know we've got so many people who would have never thought that this was an option to for mm. them that that are able to do it now and you know actually if we look at the last two cohorts i think it's our five top highest earners were all women who've gone out into new roles um so you know really doing well and i think for me i think there is a diversity problem in cyber um and i I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think people are lazy with it and it's easy. We need to be looking at those things like job descriptions and, and you know, because if if you look at, and I'm generalising, women would tend to look at 10 things and think, well, I ain't got all 10, so I'm not applying, whereas a men, gen, man generally would look and go, well, I've got five of them, I'll apply. So do we actually need those 10 things on a job description? You know, let's, let's re-look at that, what we're asking for, and start to open those doors a bit more. But I think it's just... Again, does it suit people? Because it's just lazy, you know, what it's only white men who want to get into cyber. That's just not the case, is it? No, you know, I, it's just not. I, but I think a lot of it's attitude of people. I mean, so this isn't around diversity, this is about like general attitude to change. So when I used to work with a lot of public sector organizations, I found that their attitude to change was so much less. Well, so much, yeah, so much smaller, sorry, not much less, so much smaller than the attitude for change in a private sector organisation because in public sector, the same people kind of stay in the same jobs for a long, long time and there's not really much movement around the sector because yeah. it's not as competitive with salaries, I guess, and it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not moving as fast. Um, but in the private sector, I think things move a lot quickly and I think the diversity thing, it seems to be like the opposite way around, actually. I always think like in, in government and stuff, they have a lot more diverse people working there than private sector. So I just think, yeah, it's quite an interesting like dichotomy. No, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it, some organisations are really trying actively to change it. And I think, I mean, even if you just look at it, right, on a, from a business perspective, like, okay, I don't really care about um, getting more women in or getting more diverse people in but actually the research and business wise it makes sense and I probably met more money because there's more diversity of thought even if you just looked at it like that it makes sense but then I do, I do disagree with people who go like you told me about a company before who just said I want to interview all of you female candidates because we need more diversity and it's like that's not really how diversity works it needs to be no. a bit more organic than that and you need to embed it into all of your processes so in every hiring process you need to embed that kind of thinking in there it can't just be oh shit we've not got any women let's go hire 50 women and then that will yeah. be our diversity quota all right like that's not yeah it's not it's not ticking a box is it you, if you're just ticking a box it's not going to work yeah and then as the if you're the woman that gets hired by that company because they need a woman then did you get the job because you deserve the job or did you get the job because you're a girl? And then that, that ends up breeding like negative culture like towards you as a woman in that company then because because the uh, other people at work, there just think, well, you only got that job because you're a girl. Yeah, exactly. And actually worse than that, we've, we've had some companies who are like, yeah, we want to get more women in. And then they put them through an interview process that is either just ridiculous and not appropriate for entry level or, you know, so high tech and all of this stuff. Uh, well, no, because they're just not good enough. And actually, when you look at it, it's like, actually, that's not the case. Because we had, we had one company, and um, I spoke to a candidate who went, who went there. Um, one of our learners had gone through this interview process. And when they told me what they'd been asked to do, I was just like, I've got, like, 20 years of experience. I wouldn't have been able to do that, you know, with, like, an hour's notice that this is, this is what I'm doing. You know, that's a ridiculous interview process. But then it feeds into their, you know, their whole it's thing well no, yeah there it absolutely yeah it feeds their narrative well women aren't good in tech so we we don't have women because they're just not good enough you know and you're absolutely right they need to be looking at the whole thing well do you it's, need them to do that interviews should be bog standard yeah. and you should be looking for reasons you should always be looking for reasons to hire somebody 
not, as it sounded in, in what you referred to, reasons to not hire somebody. Yeah, I think knowing that interviews are a two-way process and that you're scoping out the company as much as they're scoping out you, because you have, you have to work for them and work with those people and work in that environment and that culture. So if you don't like it as an employee, like you're not, it's not like they're doing you a favour by employing you. You're doing them a favour. They're, they're looking for someone to go work for them. So you're doing... Do you know yeah. what? People forget that it's not like a 50 relationship. I totally agree. And we, and we do... You know, we do, when we're talking to our learners about this stuff, we do t tell them that and try to get them across. I guess when you've got somebody, though, who's retraining, starting a new career, probably has quite a lot of imposter syndrome already, and they go through a process like that, it really, really can knock the confidence. And I know in this instance that that person who has now gone on to get a, a fantastic job, I'm happy to say, but for ages, they're like, I don't want to do another interview. I don't know why I'm doing this. You know, it really, really knocked them. And I just think it was it was so out of order. Um whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. But it's just, I don't know. And you're right, Rob, there's there's unconscious bias in there. Of course there is. We all, we all have an element of that. Of course we do. Yeah. But I just think if you're actively trying to change it, that is different to, than trying to tick a box and just saying, well, we tried. We've interviewed 20 women and they're mm. just, you know, actively is actually engaging people to feed into that process. Another company that we talked to and they were saying, you know, they get a lot of, applications from women to do some a scheme that they do but then they don't get through you know and we're talking through you know well what could that be and and I asked the question so how many how many women who work for you are part of designing this whole scheme and then literally it was like a tumbleweed um do you know what this is this is my, my thing with it right people have all these learned behaviors and we, and we grow up and we, we do things that might offend or upset somebody and for me that bit of it's okay. The bit it, for me that is not okay is when you're called out on that and somebody said, actually, that upsets me or, or somebody else says that's an offensive term for somebody else. If you keep doing it, then you're just an asshole at that point that you know it's offensive, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you do it the first time and you're like, oh, God, and somebody comes out and goes, I'm sorry, I didn't even realise. And I do it. I say stuff all the time. I like to say, kids pull me up on it, Andrea might, whatever. And I'm like, oh, God, I didn't even realise that that's offensive sorry and I stop I actively then try and uh you know no knowingly not do that you know again and if I did it again it wouldn't be knowingly I know that and I would absolutely straight away apologize but if I kept saying stuff and doing things that I knew were upsetting somebody or offending somebody um then I'm just a dick quite frankly yeah you know and this whole thing about privilege you know and like well you're saying I've got male privilege, but I've struggled and I had to work hard. Nobody's saying you haven't struggled. Nobody's saying you haven't had to work hard. What they're saying is you haven't um, been discriminated against or your life isn't harder because you are male. That's all we're saying here. My life isn't harder because I'm white. I have white privilege. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that I haven't struggled or had to work hard or do those things, but it's not because I'm white that those things have happened. No. You know, and I think that that's the bit. It's like it's so offensive to some people to, to call this stuff out. And well, fucking hashtag not all men is just like drives me insane. You know, just. It's like that post that we saw the other day about mansplaining. So someone yeah. posted on LinkedIn um, about mansplaining and. Well, quite a funny post, actually, I thought. Well, it was like... Yeah, I well. can, I, can I just explain, for anyone who doesn't know, mansplaining <laughs> is when... Um, it was like a little flowchart that was like, did she ask you to explain it? No. Well, then you mansplained. That was basically... Yeah. yeah. Well, it was like a bit more complex than that, but to simplify it. Um, and there were so many blokes on that post in butthurt about... Um, one of our friends who as she did she does post things like that fairly often because it's a fucking issue not because yes. she's not posting it because she hates all men or she is like some feminazi or whatever horrible word you want to use about people who believe in equality right she just genuinely feels that you know this, these things should be called out as do I and I always comment on them and support her whenever she whenever she posts them and um, but yeah. yeah there was literally like men on there crying and I mean they were literally I imagine crying like actually sat at home behind the, 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 the shit that was coming out of the mouths or the keyboards because they'd never say it in real life 
Um, the yeah. shit that came out of the keyboard was, you could tell that they were sat at home crying, but it was like they were upset that she'd used the word mansplain. Oh, that's a sexist phrase. And I'm like, mate, are you kidding me? Like, how much sex... Oh, like, grief. If you put, if you put mm. enough effort, like the same effort as you are getting mad about this as you, like, into changing your A, your own behaviour because you're an idiot, and B, like, just calling out other assholes who are, like, doing... Who, who are mansplaining to people then, you know, we'd all be in a better place. Like, Lorna, you said that you'd got mansplained, your own white paper got explained. Yeah, we've um, <laughs> done a couple of research papers and, yeah, once uh, somebody explained to me what's a mansplain because people get all upset. But, you know, I will actually... Was it a man mansplained. explaining it to you? It was a man explaining it, yes. Hashtag not all men. I know, but yeah, this man did. <laughs> this man oh, no. explained my paper to me. In fact, I think he um, used phrase at one point. I think what you meant was to me. Like, <laughs> I think you're fine, mate. I know what I fucking meant. I did the research and wrote it. Honestly, I just like, are you for real? The arrogance of of you right now you know and it, it it happens all the time and i don't care they can say what the fuck they want on linkedin amy it happens and men do it more often than women and they do it to women more often than they do it to men so it is an issue i'm starting to take the hashtag not all men to say no tall men um and that's what i'm going to assume that they mean it's only short oh. men Oh, I like that. Blank, blank, blank. Bong, here's the news. We kick off this evening's top stories with the news that McDonald's has leaked the usernames and passwords of players in its UK Monopoly VIP game, sending credentials held in both the production and staging database to prize winners via email. Looks like Ronald McDonald has been using his Big Mac computer without a firewall again. Customers are definitely not loving it. McDonald's, do not pass go. Do not collect £200. Next up, we have the news that Microsoft has released passwordless login capabilities for consumer accounts. Once enabled, users can log into their Microsoft account using fingerprint, face ID, or secure unlock functionality on their mobile devices. What a nice move. It associates your Windows installation with a device linked to a physical, nominative person, which tracks user moves by GPS. Privacy is so 2010. And speaking of privacy, our final story is about ProtonMail having to retract its assertion that they don't log your IP address after Swiss law enforcement requested the IP address of a French activist. ProtonMail updated its privacy policy recently and now reads, if you're breaking Swiss law, ProtonMail can be legally compelled to log your IP address as part of Swiss criminal investigation. Cops can read the SMTP spec too, you know. You stay classy in for sec community. Now over to the weather. Starting in the southwest, the run of unusually warm weather we've had is resulting in a growing area of high pressure around Exeter. Nothing to do with the weather, that's just on the roads. Historically, of course, this is mining country, so keep an eye out for adventurous types wearing head torches. Moving on up into the Midlands, we see thick cloud cover. No precipitation to speak of, just badly named products and poorly designed user interfaces. The picture changes as we move further east. Keep an eye out for sin flooding, especially in low-lying areas. More or less the same picture moving north, though obviously wetter, colder and different accents. Don't expect too much change as we move into the weekend. Expect patches of sunshine and broken cloud with the occasional shower. Misty in the mornings and, of course, a high chance of ransomware. Thank you. So, Lorna, we've talked about what you're doing at the moment which is very exciting. And in fact, as we've discussed, is how we all bumped into one another through various routes. But there is a lot, mu there is a lot much more. There is so much more in your background. You've done so many things. I know you've, you've worked in 
industry, you've been a teacher, tutor, academic, consultant. So just talk to us about, you know, your your life and route through cyber up to where you are now. Okay, so yeah, I guess I've had, I've got quite a, a diverse background, I suppose. And if we were if we're pinpointing it, I suppose it is education and and tech, really. Um, so my my degree is in computer science, and as a lecturer, I worked in in computer science and cyber. Um, so I've got that computer science background as well. But I started, I suppose, after I did my degree, I went in to be a secondary school teacher. So I um, earned my spurs in inner city Bradford schools. Wow. secondary schools um and was quite frustrated with that because at the time and it is quite different now but at the time then it wasn't computer science skills it was very much it skills um, and i'd come from a computer science background um and gone into to teaching sort of it i guess you know, teaching people how to use microsoft and adobe it well, was at the time well, really i i am um i'm a total non-it person so what the hell's the difference between computer science and it <laughs> So I guess at the time, IT in schools was very much using Microsoft Office package, using Adobe, copying and pasting, you know, doing that. Whereas computer science is, is more around the, the programming, you know, the back end stuff, the networking, getting delving a bit deeper really into it. Um, so I found that quite frustrating and moved over into university and worked as a, a lecturer and a senior lecturer for a number of years in the computer science department. Um, and I've always loved tech um, from from being really young, um, but I've also always I've been fascinated. I've done quite a lot of psychology stuff as well. I did quite a lot of open university psychology things around that. So I've always loved like people and how people think and learn and, and all of that good stuff. So I started, I guess, in computer science looking at um, HCI, it was called at the time, human computer interaction, probably sort of UXI design and stuff like that, you'd look at it now, but how we interact with systems and use them and the psychology behind that. Um, and then got into social engineering and that was my route into cyber really. Um, so looking at the human element and then really focused on some other using technology, I suppose, around sort of ethical hacking, pen testing um, and that side of it. And then as a as an academic, uh, where where we were, myself and Andrea, you are um, encouraged to do consultancy days anyway so that you're bringing that practical stuff back into the university as, as well as your research. So you can do, I think we could do 35 consultancy days a year part of, as part of our academic contract. So myself and Andrea set up a consultancy business many, many years ago and used to make the most of those consultancy days. And we used to consult for the university as well, but also externally through our, our own business. So we work with industry quite extensively um, through that and set up a nice sort of cyber security interdisciplinary center at the uni where it was a bit of a one-stop shop um, around teaching research and consultancy and work with industry so we we did that for a number of years and then if I'm being perfectly honest the landscape of education changed significantly and the the role changed and it, it got a lot more bureaucratic and paperwork and um, very different and the um, the consultancy side of it got more demanding. With there were more demand for us in there, um, so I made the the jump full time into industry as a consultant, and there worked on being really fortunate to work on a number of different um, projects from private um, sector to to public sector and large government departments. To yeah, I I used to work with um, universities a lot. Like at my last job, that was my specialty working with universities, and they had just. They were doing so many things. Like there's so much transformation going on at universities all the time, but it's very difficult to like push the changes through. Is what I found yeah. because academics are very. And this is no offense to any of the tutors or any like, but they're very set in the ways. They're not. They don't. Yeah. Really want to embrace new technology because. And I mean, I get it. It's like I've worked with schools and I've worked with colleges as well because most of the budget should be going on teaching because that's the important thing um and I think sometimes they find it difficult to see that sometimes doing these like like putting digital transformation pro projects in place and doing some of these things will facilitate that teaching and make it more simple and make it more secure and make it that you know it can be accessible for more students as well so I mean obviously when we all moved home they had to put some security pro processes in place because yeah working remotely so 
you couldn't just be like, oh, we're only going to MFA when you're on, like, when you're not on campus because, that, like, no one was on campus. So they need to look at, like, how they're going to MFA people and, like, you don't want to be MFAing every single time you're logging in. So then you have to look at, like, putting conditional access policies in place and kind of maturing the identity side of things, which is what my old job was. So I'm sure, but I'm sure there was other processes, like, well, I'm guessing, like, BYOD became, came into it a lot more and all that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I just think... Um, yeah, the, the, it's, it's a bit of a big, and it's a number of things to be fair. It's uh, when you're looking at security in a university, I guess when you look at that, it, they're not they're not designed to be secure, they're designed to be open yeah. and accessible and, and all of those things. And I think, you know, there's all the things around academic freedom, which is, is really important. But I don't think it's just academics. It's, a university is a big beast, you know, and it's hard to to move quickly. And when, you, when you're in a, a sector like computer science and cyber, you need, and you're wanting to work with industry and you want in, in, to make it innovative and stuff, um, it's really difficult because you've got all of this um, processes and stuff around you that that takes so long. You've got committees everywhere and all of that. And I guess, you know, there are times when that is needed, absolutely. But, you know, f for instance, I'll give you an example. We, we were, as a university, we were one of the first universities ever to introduce a cybersecurity master's course. We didn't, it wasn't called, that at the time hmm. um oh god i'd have to ask andrea what it's called business systems i can't remember what it was but um one of the first universities and we tried to change the name of that to cyber security and it took three years to get the name changed through three years on a course to get it and it, it was just because there were people stopping it and it was just it, it can be so silent and the only reason that name change went through eventually was because the vice chancellor had come to the department and asked some questions and said, I keep hearing about all this cybersecurity stuff. Why don't we have a cybersecurity course? And we said, we do. It's just not called cybersecurity. We've been trying to call it cybersecurity for a number of years now. You know, so it was things like that that were quite frustrating, trying to be innovative, trying to work with, with business, but then also around courts and workload. And, you know, I, I remember going full-time into industry and I remember – um talking to Andrea and her feeling the same and although we'd done consulting it was like consultancy it was like oh god are we going to be able to do it you know you know what it's like you get that imposter syndrome totally kicked in you know are we going to be able to do this it's going to be such hard work everybody goes back on about how hard work it is compared to public sector and all the rest of it oh my god it was a doddle I used to work 70 80 hours as an academic and then and I remember going in at public sector thinking uh, sorry to to um, private sector into industry and thinking you pay me just to do this double what I was earning as an academic just to do this oh my god this is busy <laughs> you know what is going on well, that's kind of what I was saying earlier like the difference between public and private sector is like in public sector you don't really get sacked do you when have, do you really like like you have to yeah. be really bad whereas yeah, in private you don't. sector it's like but in the private sector, the change, the pace of change in role, like I've had, I've only been, I've been working ten years, and I've worked for four, five companies. I've had like, I've changed, I've been a project manager, I've been, I've been, I've been a project manager, a resource manager. I'm not really sure what that means. Managing some people, I think it was like admin, <laughs> managing people's diaries. I got, I got paid loads of money for doing it, even though it was just managing people's diaries because it was called resource manager. Um, and then I was a project manager again. Then I'm in sales. Like I've switched jobs. For, I've switched jobs four times. I've, you know what I mean? Like I've done. Yeah, like, yeah. In public sector, I always feel like you go into public sector and you're like. You do that job and you do it. Like, if you're a teacher, you're a teacher. Well, my mate's a teacher. She's a teacher forever. She do not want to do anything else. And she might yeah. want to She might want to be like a head teacher, but I'm still like, that's still a teacher. <laughs> oh, yeah. It so isn't. Um, but like the wage difference as well. Oh my God, it's all. It's ridiculous. I mean, I know you get a lot more benefits in public sector. You know, you, your pension might be better and you, you're sick and your holiday and all of that. Um, so the, the, package might might be better but there's a massive difference and I for me I think you get there's two two things when when you look at public sector I think and I noticed this a lot when I was in there you either get people who are absolutely overworked uh, but then you get also get people who really don't do very much and they can get away with it and it's easier to hide in the public sector if you're one of those people than it is in private sector I think I find that a lot of public sector cyber security teams 
they're doing like the bare minimum or they do oh well they're not doing the bare minimum to be fair that's being investment they're doing the best with what they can do because i think a lot of public sector organizations are more focused on the spending somewhere else so they're focused on spending like at universities they're focused on spending on making it like a cool university to come to but they so they they're like i've been to a few colleges where they've got like shit hot technology but i'm like you haven't got fucking mfa switched on what are you doing <laughs> And I'm like, you've got all these, you've got like Microsoft E5 licenses. You've like fucking paid for the full works. You're like going all in. You've got like Surface, what are they called? The Surface TV things in every room. And it's like magical and cool. And you look amazing. Uh, but you're, you're not got MFA switched on. Like, really? No. But, then but, they, but then this they, is, as, as an exception. This is the absurdity. Sorry, Amy. This is the absurdity of funding in the public sector that you have capital spend and you have day-to-day -day spend so your capital spend you can you can get the yeah. funding to put you know every single person can have an ipad but you're not allowed to employ somebody to charge them yeah, that's but, it that yeah. is absolutely yeah. the way it works it's ridiculous but but, but it's but to, sw to switch mfa on it's literally like anyone in it can just go click that sounds to me though like that's the difference between an it team and a security team doesn't it you know, your eye team's looking at, at, at the gadgets and things. But it's not the but it's not as like the security teams that I've talked to in unis. I've said to them like, well one right, so one uni, I can't remember they were in like the arse end of Scotland somewhere and I would have expected them to have the worst security. They went, Fuck it, I'm just switching MFA on and you can all fuck off. Right? Because they it was like he was like a miserable Scottish bastard who works there. <laughs> like, I don't care. I'm switching it on because that's what we need to do. Whereas like other yeah. unis that I've talked to, like can't switch it on because some people don't have a smartphone. I'm like, uh, have you heard of like exceptions to rules? You can just exclude <laughs> if, if like the one person in the uni is still using a Nokia 3210 wants to be excluded from the rule. A, that's a load of bullshit because they can get a text message. But B, exclude them from the rule then. Doesn't matter. You can still switch yeah. it on. It makes no, it, there's no excuse for it. And I just think that's the problem with public sector. Like they're too concerned that they're too concerned with what the people who are kind of doing their jobs. I'm not saying that security don't do the job, but you know what I mean. Like in a uni, yeah. the academics are the ones doing the jobs. They're too concerned with what they're what 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 they think, and not concerned enough with actually implementing security features. That's what I found. Yeah, and I, I think you you've got some definitely got some valid points there. I just think it's the the I don't know they are very very complex and I think I'll just go back to what I said I think ultimately universities weren't ever designed to be secure they were designed to be open and accessible to everyone so there is still yeah. a, a mindset and, and a culture of that as well I think that is is hard to get past um, but times change you know and, and they've they've got to advance and, and move with those times but can I just bring it back though as well because and I'm not going to go back to the life of Lana but what I want to say because I think it might mm. be interesting for some people is I left school with two GCSEs so I had a, a GCSE in English and a GCSE in art mostly because I were a nightmare when I was younger and didn't go to school for the last two years mostly I just like slammed and got pissed all the time and stuff but um I was really naughty when I was younger um but that's not the point the point is um I didn't go through a traditional route. I didn't get GCSEs. I didn't get A-levels and then go to a degree. You know, I, I left school with, with two GCSEs um, and, you know, I, I had a son, uh, my son, really young. Um, and then, but I always loved learning, but, you know, you fall into that when you're younger, don't you, and you're a bit of an idiot and your friends and stuff. So I, I did it a different way, and I did it through Open University. I did it through, you know, adult colleges, and I brought it up that way, and then went to university as a mature student. And I suppose the point of me telling you that is we all come from different backgrounds and it's not a you have to do it this way and you have to have done this um, to, to get into this because you don't, you don't have to, you know, we've all got something we can bring no matter where we, where we come from and what route we've taken to get where we are, I guess is what I'm trying to say. When we look at something like Caps Lock, I'm, honestly, I'm in awe of some of our learners. Some of them are going out working all day, you know, then come in and every evening Monday Thursday you know doing this and studying this and some of them are caring for um, parents for children and still doing this and, and fitting it in around that and it's so tough it's not easy to do so for me my thing with that is 
if you're an employer you're looking at somebody who's put themselves through that for a minimum of 16 weeks with everything else going on in life just fucking interview them because they've shown straightway some dedi severe dedication and passion to wanting to get into this sector, you know, even just to be able to attend every day. And I have to say, and Rob will, will probably back me up on this, the stuff we put from the application exercise and the stuff, it is not easy. It's intense and it's full on and, mm -hmm. and it's hard, you know. It needs to be because it's like, it's not, I'm going to say it's like the SAS. It's not quite like the SAS, is it? It's a little bit. We just chuck them in the sea in the middle of nowhere like, find your own way back. But it, is, but it has to be like that because if yeah. you want to succeed in this industry, and this is what, this is what, so I got a new mentor group uh, seven weeks ago. Not two. <laughs> uh, I got a new mentor group. A while ago. I got them, right, gone fishing, my mentor group. Boop, boop. Um, 18, the new 18. Um, when I got them, <laughs> I said to them, you are going to have to somehow demonstrate that you're passionate about cybersecurity when you're talking to employers. Like, that's the thing that will get you the job. I was talking to the guy who's like the uh, the head of um, InfoSec at Sellafield. And he said to me, he said to me, I had a job going for, not for me, um, for some for some of the guys, that <laughs> for some of the noobs. Um, and he was like, I said, but they've only done like a couple of weeks. And he was like, I don't care. Just get them to just get them to apply anyway, because if they can show that they're passionate and if they've got the they've got the passion about it and they've got some transferable skills and I can teach them things, then I will do that because that's yeah. what we're looking for. And that's the thing that people need to realize in this industry. If you're not passionate about it, if you're like blase. Rob hates this thing about passion. And look at his face. Rob hates it. He's like, I'm never passionate about a job. We've had this. When I, That's when I, not true. Rob turned up every single day for 16 weeks, exactly. Monday to Friday, and put the work in. If You'd have to have been passionate about it just to no, do that. I, I refuse to use the word passionate. Committed. I'm, I'm, committed. Passionate. I'm passionate with my wife. Actually, that's you don't want to know. True, but um, <laughs> we've been married twenty years. Actually, that's that's long gone. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not true, then. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I, I am committed. I'm enthusiastic. I'm excited. But I will not use the term passionate. And there's there's a specific reason why I won't. Okay, because well, enthusiastically, enthusi I don't mind whichever yeah. word you want to use. But yeah, if you need to be enthusiastic about it, you need to be excited about it, you need to, you need to care. No, do you know what the thing is? Yeah, you need, you need to, care. to care. So yeah. I, work, I work in sales, and the only reason why I get to talk to customers is because I care about what I'm doing. I'm not just here, like, flogging shit because I can do. I'm here, like, because I actually – and I do mentoring yeah. because I care about – cybersecurity and, and it's really weird if you think about it if you look at any other role i don't know like if you look at teaching i guess what you'd understand why people care about that role because you're nurturing children you're bringing them up <laughs> why do you care about cybersecurity? i don't know why i care about it but it's like my second child right <laughs> no you're right and and i do, i actually for me i feel i feel really privileged because at the minute i'm able to bring together a you know, not the, not just the fact that I care about cyber, because I do, and I really genuinely want to make a change in cyber and want to send people out there who are going to make that change as well and, and make it better. But I think probably more than that, if I'm dead honest, it's been it's seeing the change in people. Um, and, you know, and they're committing, they're taking a risk with us and they're putting that dedication, Rob, commitment in there what use passion you know and they're turning up every day the yeah the sacrificing a lot you know there's there's people one of our learners on full-time starters they've just they quit their job to do this because they they really want it and they believe in it so they're sacrificing things and to be able to go on and see them you know succeed is is just fantastic and when we talk to them afterwards honestly it's, I, the bit i didn't i don't think it's think of when we did capsule and i kind of always knew once you get rid of that imposter syndrome that syndrome that it would be successful because i genuinely believed in what we did i've seen it succeed before and i knew it could be really successful so i knew that um and you know we we did it i think the bit i never really accounted for thought about too much was the emotional roller coaster oh my god i've never cried as much since i started caps lock i mean i'm used to making people cry you know i've been in that position where i'm just like bollocking people and they're they're crying 
it's just it is such an emotional roller coaster. But it's seeing the people and how genuinely it has changed the lives. You know, when they're telling us the stories, well, actually, six months ago I was doing this, or I genuinely thought I would never um, get off of benefits, or I genuinely thought I would never get a job and stuff, and now I'm doing this. And and they are so passionate, and hopefully, and I'm using passionate. passionate. Hopefully, you know, they okay. take that with them. They take them with them with them out in the sector and remember that and then help support other people to come along and, and have that opportunity as well. And I think even if it all finished tomorrow, I can hand on heart say I have absolutely no regrets because there are at least 80 people out there who I know have, we've made a difference and, and it's it's changed their lives. But, so, um, the, the guy that I was talking to um, who works at Sellafield, he was like the only... Thing that I ask if I help you come into the industry the only thing that I ask is that you then help two more people come into the industry yeah how you pass it on like I'll help you if you're not like a typical cyber security person you know like I'll give you the opportunity but you've got, then got to give two more people and I thought that was a really nice like a really good thing for a, yeah it's nice because he's, he's so high up as well it's a really good thing for like a, that kind of manager to say yeah pay it forward why not why wouldn't you it's what i said to my last mentoring group is exactly what i said to them i said i you know a couple of them i hand held them into some a couple of roles or whatever and i but and i said to them you know i don't mind doing this but you also if someone comes to you and says i need help getting a job then you help them and i know i already know that a couple of them have been like passing contacts to people and like helping yeah. and do and doing that and that's what because that, we need to engender that like even if they don't help someone get a job we need to engender that kind of behavior within the within the industry yeah for sure and why not why won't we you know yeah i said it earlier and i'll say it again you know i'm absolutely totally believing it and you know what if people pass me by and go and then end up in these great roles bloody brilliant good as long as you remember that you had an opportunity that might not have um, necessarily come your way without this so give it to other people as well just you know there's nothing worse is it, than somebody who was given an opportunity it becomes really successful and then tries to shut the door on everybody else that's just like the worst trait ever for me why would you ever do that i, I remember when i was about 18 i managed to blag a job in a, in a factory that made electronic component lighting consoles and I, I completely blagged this job and he uh, they put me in the in the back room mending customer returns and and it was it was a complete non-starter of a job basically this stuff had come back and it was wrecked and it was just sitting in a cupboard <laughs> my job was to go through it and get anything working and every week the managing director used to come down and spend about an hour and a half at the workbench with me, step, step, step through how to, to do everything. And I said to him once, why why are you wasting the time with me doing that when you, you've got a business to run? And he said, because what use is my knowledge if I'm not sharing it with people who are coming up behind me? And yeah. I, mean, I remember that from, from over 30 years ago. And I believe, I mean, last weekend I was sitting with somebody teaching them how to, to strip down a drone and rebuild it so that they could then take that knowledge and reuse it. And it's absolutely the way to go, because if we don't, everything that we develop, everything that we learn dies with us. Yeah. I, and then where's the point of that? Exactly. I, I posted about this on LinkedIn. It was maybe like, I don't know, three or four months ago now. But I posted on LinkedIn and said, like, people who gatekeep, there's no benefit to it. But people who teach, there's all of the benefits. So if I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not overly i'm not technical i can talk about a lot of areas of it security so like all of the areas that you guys teach in caps lock i can talk to it i talk about it to some extent i can probably quiz the guys on some questions like give them some questions and and know what the answer should be but i i bring an expert in every week because i don't want to look like a dick um <laughs> if i don't know the answer um but um i but i always think like by me giving them some information, like if I'm teaching someone something, I don't. I, it doesn't make me more stupid. Me teaching them something, I'm not. It's not. It's not like I'm giving. Like so, if I was teaching Rob about, I don't know, MDM solutions. If I give him my knowledge about MDM, I still know the same amount of it about MDM. Yeah, it's exactly. I'm not getting any more stupid by doing it. And then he might ask me a question where I have to go find the answer out. And I'm like, and then I've learned something because- Exactly. 
something that I've not thought of before about that topic. So I always think that oh, there's only ever a benefit to you but for, of teaching someone. Yeah. I can't see what the negative is. But, but I, also I, positivity breeds positivity and negativity yeah. breeds negativity. So if Absolutely. you're spending your life shutting off opportunities and shutting or uh, closing away people, then you're actually putting so much effort into negative thoughts and feelings that that's yeah. going to have an impact on your life. Whereas if you are positive and if you share and if you you give what you have freely, then actually yeah. it all comes rolling back to you. It's, it's like the yeah. farmer who sows his seeds and reaps the rewards. It's, yeah. you know, it doesn't come without giving. The only thing I can think of that is probably, and, and I put it down to a lot of things actually and, and where people behave, is insecurity. And you must be insecure if you feel that you have to gatekeep and you have to do do these things. Because if you are secure and in yourself um, and you don't have those insecurities and you're um, confident in yourself and confident in your own abilities and stuff, why would you need to do it? You know, I'm Look, even it, at if somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to, I'm just going to go, actually, I don't know that. Because why would I know it? everything nobody in, knows everything you know in sales it's a thing that i have to come across a lot so in sales i'm the front line of going to talk to technical people and rob when you start your job you'll be the same as me the people you're trying to sell to is really fucking technical i've started right? my job well you started right? sorry three oh, weeks. Yeah, sorry it's three, yep three sorry. weeks three weeks seven. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right. when you started your job you'll know this um when you go out to a customer they are you're you're the front line so they're going to ask you a load of questions i've never this is what gives salespeople a bad reputation is when a customer asks them a question and then they make up an answer yeah whereas i've always been honest and every single time i've been honest i've never ever i don't ever lie to customers if i don't know the answer i just won't tell you it like i'll just go i don't know i'm gonna yeah. have to go and i will have to go and ask someone more clever than me back at our office and I will be able to give you the answer in uh, tomorrow or whenever I, whenever I can feasibly give them it, right? But, yeah, I think that's the thing that gives people a bad reputation. And that's why yeah. we, like, as a and as an industry in, in cybersecurity, get a bad reputation because people think, oh, people are just peddling these. Um, if, you, if you're, like, from the vendor side, people are just peddling these fucking silver bullet technologies is because yeah because the salespeople are because it is badly trained salespeople who are too scared to say i don't know the answer yeah. that's not just sales though Emma. i've come across um and thankfully it is definitely a minority but i've come across consultants like that as well i just think promising you the world and you know just what what what's the term snake oil salesman you know, but consultants like that using fear to, to do stuff and coming out with crap because they know that people don't understand it. And I just think you just give it a bad name. You know, we, we just we don't need to do it that way. It, it just I don't know. I just find it frustrating. So I don't want to be the conveyor, purveyor, conveyor. Which one's the right word? Oh, Without the rest of the sentence, it's a bit of a game. I don't want to be the no. conveyor of bad news. Conveyor. Purveyor. Oh. <laughs> Whichever one you've gone with. I don't want to be the, the purveyor of bad news, but we are out of time because we've been talking. Oh. Yeah. Um, I know. I very much enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much. I really want to go to the pub, and I think Lorna really needs to eat something. I definitely um, do. Yes. So, can we just have your final thought on whatever <laughs> we talked about? Whatever you pick, pick any of the topics. We've any of the topics. Oh, give many. us a final thought. Oh my god, that pressure! Um, <laughs> fi <laughs> final thought. Okay, my final thought is: um, don't doubt yourself. Feel the fear and do it anyway, because you know what, cyber, you can do it. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you, you so much for coming to talk to us. It's it been has been very one, welcome. Uh, one, one of our, well, one of my favourites. Uh, You're just so saying that because I used brilliant. to say that to everybody in the in the teams, Rob. I bet you say that to everybody who comes on. Oh, well, do, you know, do you know how, how grumpy I am with did most you, people? Did, did Lorna just admit that she said that to no. everyone in no, the no. team? No. So we can... 
we're gonna air that bit, can't we? Right? <laughs> yeah, I go into I go into every room and go, "How's my favourite team?" <laughs> and they're all like, "You're yeah. gonna say that in front in the main room?" Like, no, never, <laughs> never. <laughs> the the thing is, Laura, we all know that sometimes you said it through gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.